Locked off. back um this time i do something a little different actually just different for me it's on a large scale kind of commonplace what i'm going to do is go through some lists you know top fives top tens things like that um i've seen comments on the internet about podcasts when they do this sort of thing some people i think seem to kind of look at it as maybe a way of just providing some filler material or filling up dead space. You know, it's not a very worthwhile or meaningful exercise, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I think, on the one hand, I can kind of see why they think that, but I also think they're missing the point, to be honest. Um, I always enjoy listening to lists. Not just any list, but if the if the hosts or people talking about it are have interesting things to say and interesting commentary to make, then then it's it's a good thing. And so that's kind of what got me thinking about this. Was I over time have just kind of whenever I thought of a subject like a top this or top that uh, with games, I kind of wrote it down, and I've accumulated uh, a bunch of subjects. And I thought rather than kind of sprinkle these out through different shows or different episodes or breaking it all up. Why not just make a couple episodes where you just rattle off a bunch of different lists in uh, in succession? That's what I'm going to do. Hello, everybody. Yes, it is the Pixel Advocate once again. Welcome to the first lists extravaganza. So, here's how this is going to work. For each list, I'm going to obviously state what the subject is. And it's either probably either going to be a top 5 or a top 10 in most cases. And whichever it ends up being is really just arbitrary and at my discretion. And what I'm going to do before I start the list is I'm going to enumerate the criteria that I sp- I personally am using for the that specific list. And I think that's kind of an important thing to do and maybe something that maybe doesn't get enough attention on these things. Um, because depending on how you're looking at a specific topic, what factors you're holding important, which ones you're not, the title of the list alone might not really communicate exactly what your reasoning is or how you're approaching it. And so I'm going to try and do that. And hopefully that provides maybe a little bit of an extra layer to the, the, the meaningfulness of these things, because let's face it, they're all just one person's opinion. And some people choose to look at these things, and when they see omissions from the list that they think should be there, if they see things on the list that they don't think should be there, they treat it like it's the end of the world, and they start swearing and getting all angry and upset and calling you names, and, you know, let's not let's not make it that sort of thing. That's kind of silly. Um, what I really think is the overarching value of this, this type of thing on a podcast is it's not so much about coming up with a list of things that goes in some kind of historical document, and you know, it, it, that it really means anything um, in in the big picture. To me, the, the the value is simply that lists provide a framework. It's just a framework for hobbyists to sit down and have a discussion about something that of mutual interest. So the list is just basically, if you want to call it, the excuse to have a discussion. In this case, about retro games. So you pick some games and you weigh them against a particular 
a particular set of criteria and you discuss the merits uh, you know, of different titles against each other and things like that. And that's r- really the value of it to me, and I hope you agree. So that is what we're going to do here. Let's get started. Are you ready? All right, and this list is going to be called Popular Games That Don't Do Much For Me. So I think that's probably pretty self-explanatory. So what are the criteria here? Okay, first of all, there's a couple hints included in the name of the list. Uh, So popular games that don't do much for me. So obviously they have to be, it can't just be any game. Uh, It has to be a game that is reasonably famous, well-known, well-loved. And simultaneously, doesn't do much for me. Um, so, drill down a bit further here into the criteria, um, and maybe a few clarifying comments. First of all, hold your fire, guys. I know I'm gonna, I'm I'm bound to tick a few of you off with including your favorite game on this list. Um, but just be, you know, just understand that I'm. Not calling any of these games overrated, which is a term everyone likes to use. All I'm doing is simply stating the fact that these games happen to be popular, and simultaneously they're games that I just don't enjoy that much. Um, another thing worth mentioning is I'm only going to talk about games that are, let's say, of a style that I otherwise kind of like. Or at least I otherwise don't have anything against. So in other words, genres of games, like or genres that I don't enjoy, then obviously it doesn't even really make sense to even talk about those because I'm not going to like any of the games, right? So, um, just, you know, for... Just to clarify what that means for me, um, examples of genres that uh, are irrelevant to this list would be RPGs, um, like Metroidvania-style games, um, one-on-one fighters like, you know, King of Fighter and uh, Samurai Showdown and even the the Street Fighter series and all that. Um, These are all styles of games that have lots of examples and have lots of rabid fans and have lots of games that are very famous, very well-known, and very well-loved. But they're also genres that I just don't care for at the most fundamental level, so um, it's not really interesting for me to to name any games on that list or to talk about it because... um, to name any games from those genres because, you know, I don't like the genre, period. So, just so you know. Um, So, another way of looking at this is any game that I list here for the purposes of this discussion, um, you can be reasonably sure that there are uh, other games of the same genre or a very similar style of gameplay that I actually do like. So it's not the gameplay style or the the basic design of the game that I don't like. It's just a particular game doesn't do it for me. So, all right, that's enough uh, nattering on with details. Let's get started. Number 10, we have Dig Dug, arcade game by Namco, 1982. I kind of hemmed and hawed about whether I should put this one on the list. I mean, I do play Dig Dug from time to time. It is a fun game. I do like it. Kind of. But whenever I play it, or whenever I try to dig into it, for some reason I just find myself always circling back to the same thought process or start thinking, you know, 
this game's okay, but I don't really understand why some people love it so much. And I, I'm not sure why that is. Um, because certainly any characteristic that I describe about this game, I could probably trace back to a different arcade game of the similar era that I like. And that I w- wouldn't even consider putting on this list. Um, you know, for example, Donkey Kong, like, spoiler alert, Donkey Kong is not on this list. <laughs> but I think a lot of what I would have to say about Dig Dug, you could equally apply to Donkey Kong. But for some reason, Donkey Kong is, uh, you know, tops for me, but, um, but Dig Dug's not. So I don't know if it has some combination to do, or uh, some uh, something to do with the combination of like I find the control a little chunky. Like when you have, whenever you have games from that era where the screen is effectively like a big maze, but it tries to create the illusion that it's not like it's a big free open field. Like Dig Dog's a perfect example of this. Mister Do would be another one. Where you, f- you get the impression like you can just go anywhere, but you can't really because the the screen is still divided up into like a grid pattern behind the scenes. Um, it's just not perfectly obvious just by looking at it. So what that tends to do for me is it kind of creates, I struggle a little bit kind of sticking to that invisible grid and it creates a weird kind of control feel that maybe I don't like very much. Um, and I think once the, the difficulty ramps up in this game a little bit, the way the enemies, they keep floating, turning into ghosts and floating through the ground at you. I just feel like I'm just always on the run, and it's just always, um, like I just it doesn't feel very fair, and it just I don't know it loses something. You know, I think a lot of what I just said here is like you guys might be sitting there going, "Well, that's the game." I mean, that that's Dig Dug, <laughs> um, and uh, I guess I don't know what to say. It's just uh, like I said, it's just a lot of this. A lot of this has to do with just impressions and and how you feel when you play a certain game, and uh, and that's what I get. When I play Dig Dog. Anyway. Next up, we've got Space Invaders by Taito, 1978. Um, well, I don't think I'm alone on this one. I, I've heard others say it before in podcasts. I've read comments online um, where people are saying Basically the same thing I'm about to say. Uh, Space Invaders is absolutely a seminal game, uh, highly influential. It's an historic title. All all that stuff's all true. Um, but for me, it it's excuse me, it's just one step behind the line of you know where the games were just so basic. Um, that they maybe are just a little dull and boring to play. Now, this sort of thing, I think, has a lot to do with your perspective, like what, when did you grow up, what, you know, what was current in your formative years, and this and that. And Space Invaders, uh, I was just, uh, you know, I couldn't, I was in diapers when this this game was, was popular, so I think I probably missed it by just a little bit, you know, chrono- or um, time-wise. Um, not that that really necessarily is the kiss of death for me, because there's there's several games that I, I missed on the timeline that I discovered later in life and ended up really, really liking. Like Asteroids, for example, which was only a year later. I really, really like Asteroids a lot, but not so much with Space Invaders. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, I do kind of enjoy the Atari 2600 version. Um, but I just, I find it, you know, it's, it's very, very basic. And, um, you know, I've, I've thought about this before. It's like, there's, if you're into early retro games and yeah, I mean, it almost seems hypocritical to be using the fact that a game is basic against it, because let's face it, you could say, well, all those games you like from back then are basic. Why are you? 
focusing in on this one and, and picking on it. Um, and that's, I guess, a fair question, but I, I still think no matter how uh, far back you go, um, there's still a threshold beyond which you have to, uh, you know, the the level of interest and the complexity and the, um, you know, the features of the game and the, the nuances of it, they have to be past a certain minimum threshold for your, uh, a given person to enjoy that game. Now, everybody's threshold is different, and everybody has different reasons for liking different games, but for me, I just... Um, Space Invaders stops just short of it. Like, it doesn't quite cross that line where it's interesting enough. It's just just on the wrong side of the too basic line for me. And, um, you know, other examples of that would be, like, for example, Pong. I mean, that game came out before I was born. And, again, I appreciate the historical significance of it and all that, but to sit down and play Pong or its variants on the home consoles, like, um, you know paddle games in uh, those dedicated Pong consoles, which I've tried a few of those. It's interesting from a from a um, you know, educational or historical or research uh, standpoint, but the, the gameplay itself, it, it's you know, maybe a little lacking in, in um, it's, it's an era where maybe I just don't quite understand because I wasn't there and uh, I'm little more intrigued by some stuff that came a little bit later. Next up, we've got Galaga. Namco, 1981. Now this is another one, I think. You know, there's probably some people, um, of all four people listening to this, I bet you three of them just fell off their chairs. Or nearly drove their car into oncoming traffic out of anger. Um, and that's fine. I, I get that. Uh, but this game... I... Again, let me remind you, the, the criteria for this list aren't that, the, that I'm calling the games overrated or that they suck or anything like that. It's just me personally. I don't get the hype. And, um, and this game is really, you know really fine example of that phenomenon for me i this is one that is popular enough that i actually have seen it throughout my life like i would see it uh you know cocktail versions of it uh, at restaurants and, and stuff like that and it's always kind of been around at least peripherally uh, my entire life in, in different spots so i'm you know well aware of galaga i'm not it's not new to me um as it should be to no uh, fan of video games. And um, on my main cabinet at home, this is a game that, you know, people always ask to play. Um, you know, when you have those people that are, that are over and they don't maybe don't really know very many games, and you say, well, pick a game, what do you want to play? This is one of the ones that is near the top of the list of uh, how often it gets requested. Uh, one buddy in particular, he's always asking to play this game, and he's actually he's actually pretty good at it, at least compared to me. I mean, I'm I kind of stink at the game. I beat him sometimes, um, but he's definitely has the edge over me. Um, I mean, if we played head to head ten times, he'd probably win seven, at least, not eight. Um, and I kind of get frustrated because I'm like, dude, can you? Please pick something other than Galaga for once, you know. All these games on here, just pick something else. And uh, and but don't he's uh, he likes his Galaga. Um, and there are other people as well who who, uh, who I know of that um, would say the same thing. So I just um, and I'm not against the the this basic style of gameplay. I mean, I like really like Mega Mania on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I like. Um, Heck, I even like um, Galaxian quite a bit. I mean, if I had to pick between playing Galaxian and Galaga, I, I'd pick Galaxian any day of the week. And I will fully admit that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I can't even really explain why. I just, for some reason, I just find it more enjoyable. I mean, it's definitely not as polished as Galaga. Uh, Galaga has some maybe 
uh, more advanced tactics to it and things like that, which, you know, maybe make it a little more interesting on paper. But I just dig Galaxian more. I don't know why. Can't really explain it. Um, it just has a little bit of a je ne sais quoi to it, I guess. Um, and, you know, games like Astro Blaster, that's a fun one. Um, I'm trying to think of some others here. Oh, even um, Galaga 88, that, that uh, game that came out um, later in the 80s, which was kind of like a a rehash of Galaga with updated graphics and sounds and the same basic game, or very similar basic game. I think it came out on Turbo Graphics as Galaga 80, no, Galaga 90, was it called? I don't know, for some reason it was called Galaga 88 in the arcade, and then Galaga 90 or 91 or something else on the Turbo Graphics. I, I should know that because it's one of my favorite games on that system, but uh, I guess I always just kind of call it Galaga 88. Very fun game, but um, for some reason the original Galaga just doesn't do it for me that much. I, I never play it unless I have somebody over who asks me to load up Galaga. All right, seventh on the list, we've got Gradius by Konami, the arcade game from 1985. Now this one's, um, I guess I didn't really realize that this one had the following that it does. Um, I kind of noticed it in through the course of participating in little friendly online arcade MAME uh, score tournaments. And this game has come up here and there. Uh, over the years and those and and whenever it does you see a lot of enthusiastic players coming in and talking about how much they love this game and uh and i've seen many comments about it um from you know just reading forums over the years and listening to podcasts and talking to people and it's a uh it's a it's okay i guess i find that maybe it's maybe a little on the older side of what I like in terms of shoot 'em ups I mean I do really like shoot 'em up games I think I seem to have a preference I'm, if I had to notice a pattern it would probably be that I like shoot 'em ups that are maybe a little um later in the arcade era um I think because I like you know, some of the aspects I like about shoot 'em up games is like big, colorful kind of explosions and sound effects and all that. I think those are a big part of the experience. I'm not normally a big graphics and sound guy. Like, that places too much emphasis on that. I am talking about 30-year-old video games, after all. But for some reason, with shoot 'em up games, I find that those, you know, graphical prowess and uh, maybe a little nicer sound effects and things like that, they actually enhance the experience for this particular style of game. And maybe that has something to do with it. Um, on the other hand, there's games like R-Type, which were very similar to Gradius, um, that I like a lot more than Gradius. Um, so, it's an okay game. Um, you know, the, the power-up system's kind of interesting. I find it kind of annoying on games like this and, and certainly this is not unique to Gradius but when you get these games where you you have all kinds of different power-ups that you accumulate like a snowball effect where you start with nothing and you gradually build up and up and up and up and then you lose your life and then you lose all of your power-ups and you start start over again um I that's irritating uh, there were some Shooter games that came later, I think they found ways of creative ways of kind of dulling the thud of that effect. You know, for example, when you you accumulate a bunch of power ups and you and you die, then like a little icon leaves your ship and starts floating around. And if you collect that when you respawn, you gain most of your power ups back that you had. Maybe not everything, but you get most of it. So you're at least not starting from scratch again. That sort of thing really helps. I mean, it just really it sands off the rough edges of frustration and lets you just focus on enjoying the game, that sort of thing. So, anyway, there's Gradius. I, you know, not a bad game, but it just, 
maybe I don't quite understand why it's so highly regarded myself. Um, that's just me. Now, number six on this list, um, probably one that's going to tick off most people, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. We've got Super Mario Brothers, the original, by Nintendo, released in North America in 1985 um, for the NES. This game is, you know, let me say this first. I, I, it's, it's hard to think of a game, or it's hard to think of many games that are more groundbreaking and influential than this one uh, in terms of the waves it made in the years to follow. I mean, I think you could it could be argued that Super Mario Brothers, like the ripple effect of that game is still being felt loud and clear uh, today. Um, but, you know, with, with this game, it's even going back to the, the mid-late 80s when I first was introduced playing this game and the NES in general. I obviously had this game because it was a pack-in cartridge. I had the uh, the split cartridge that also had Duck Hunt on it. And I still remember even back then, um, remember how I said earlier about everyone always wants to play Galaga on my MAME cabinet? Well, similarly, Back then, everybody always wanted to play Super Mario Brothers. People would come over and they'd have this stack of games, maybe at least 10 of them, and that are available, and we'd rent games, and, you know, have a bunch of options at hand. And yet, people would be like, all right, all right, this is real cool, but all right, Super Mario Brothers now. Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers. And I just got, I think that's part of this. I mean, I just got tired of that. Um, and I, I did play through the game. I I don't think I've ever played through every screen. Actually, I know I haven't. I've I beat the game using the, the the cheesy warp zones and all that. But I guess I just didn't, in you know, wasn't interested enough in the game to want to play every level. I just the game is um, it's fun, but I, I kind of have like a been there, done that feel for that one. Um, why for that particular game? Again, it's hard to really say for sure. I don't really know. So I, I do like Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, which is probably um, one of my top console games of all time. And Super Mario Brothers 3, really like that one. Um, the Super Mario uh, Brothers pack-in game for the Super Nintendo is a really great game. But um, this one... And then I would never put any of those games on this list, but the, for the original, I just, um, I, I respect it. I, I understand that it's important, but um, I could just take it or leave it, frankly. Okay, next up we've got Moon Patrol by Irem Arcade, 1982. This one's... I was playing this recently, and there was a moment when I was playing it where I thought, you know, maybe I was wrong about Moon Patrol. Because at the time, at the time I was playing it, I had already written this list down. I already knew I was going to be doing this eventually, and so I was kind of in that headspace when I was playing the game. And I played, you know, several credits of it to try to get the best score I could. And um. There was one fleeting moment where I thought to myself, you know, maybe I ought to take this game off that list because it's okay. I kind of like it. But then I slept on it. <laughs> and thinking about it now, I, I think it still belongs on there. I mean, the game, I will play it once in a blue moon. If it comes up in a, a score competition that I'm participating in, I'll play it. I'll put up a score. But I find it a little maddening, I guess, the the way you're kind of forced to move forward. Um, at a, you know, I guess you can slow down and speed up a little bit. You have a little bit of control over that. But the way you, you have to kind of memorize the screens, kind of 
takes a little bit away from it, I think. Like, for example, if you have you have these big pits that are in the ground, and sometimes these spaceships will be flying above, and there's these ones that drop a bomb in front of you, and they make a big pothole in front of you, and you got to jump it or else you'll, it'll explode. So, as soon as you jump those, that you're, you're flying through midair and you have no control over your ship. You can't slow down or speed up or do anything. So then if there's another obstacle that appears on the screen while you're in midair, you can't do anything about it until you land. And a lot of times it's too late and then you smash into it. So then what you end up having to do is memorize the screens. So you can anticipate every little trick that the game's going to throw at you to try and steal your money. And the, the game becomes a little more playable once you... you, you um, figure out how to get past certain spots, but then but then at that point it's like, well, it kind of takes a little bit of the fun away too, right? Because now it's like, I'm just going through a bunch of dance steps here. I know exactly. i got to pull back here. i got to slow down. i got to jump as soon as, um, at the earliest moment I can while still clearing this hole so I can land in enough time to shoot this rock. And if I don't do that, I'm pretty much 100% guaranteed to lose life. So, I think that's that's part of it and then just the way the you know we have these these enemies coming in from the top coming in from space and you gotta you know you, you fire and you have a very slow shooting gun and um it just it just doesn't the sum total of this game just doesn't gel for me um like it does for a lot of people and you, you know you, you hear a lot of people talk about the the music in this game being so catchy and all that and um yeah, I suppose it's for its time. It's a it's a very very passable uh, game soundtrack. But really, all it is is just a you know a twelve bar blues pattern. <laughs> um, I don't see why everybody always uh, points or cites this game as some kind of musical uh, masterpiece from uh, classic arcade gaming because um, I, I think that the music does a job. I'm not saying it's bad. I I, I like that it's there. But it's, uh, I don't see what's so special about that myself. Um, it's, uh, but a lot of people like it. So, each their own. Next up's a big one. Um, I've got Star Wars, the arcade game by Atari from 1983, the vector game. Now, again, there's probably a lot of people saying, what is wrong with you? But here's the thing with this one. I'm a lifelong Star Wars fan. I was born within weeks of the original film hitting theaters. I My mom took me to see a double feature of A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back in, uh, you know, when I was just a little, little child. And she said, I don't even remember going, it was so long ago, and she said, I sat through the entire two films, just mesmerized by it, just, you know, in awe. Um, neighborhood kids at the time, growing up, we all liked Star Wars, and I didn't, I never really got into the toys, but I had friends who did. Um, I, all through the 80s, uh, after Return of the Jedi came out, um, when Star Wars was kind of dormant, let's say, you know, in that big span of time between... 1983 and um, 1999, when the prequel trilogy started. Uh, that whole time, I was I remained a big Star Wars fan. I'd watch the movies on a regular basis, always have, always will. Um, I I like all the movies. Uh, I even like the prequels. I mean, I don't get me wrong; they they're very flawed, and I will be uh, first in line to list the things that I think are stupid about them. That I also accept that they are now Star Wars movies, and I, um, over time, I've I've come to accept them, flaws and all, and I, I don't mind them. I uh, don't watch them or enjoy them as much as the original trilogy, but I do have them in my DVD collection, and I do pull them out probably once a year. So, um, so point being, I'm a big fan of Star Wars, the Star Wars IP, let's say. Um. I'm also obviously a big fan of arcade games. I uh, like several vector arcade games. I really like that style. So, and I also like 
arcade games that have kind of unique or fancy controllers. So, on paper, it's like the Star Wars arcade game from 1983 ticks all of those boxes, so it should be the best game ever, in my opinion, right? But it's just not. I Oh, and, and one more thing to add to the list. I even really, really liked the game back when I was a kid. Like, when it came out, whenever I saw this game at an arcade, I was a little young when it when it first came out, um, but it, it I remember seeing it kind of hanging around in arcades even a little, you know, a few years after it was, was brand new. I remember seeing it at amusement parks, at restaurants, uh, the bowl, local bowling alley, things like that. And whenever I saw it, I was right there to play it. I, you know, dump a bunch of quarters in it. I loved the, um, the little, uh, uh, voice samples from the movie. And, you know, you, you hear Obi-Wan Kenobi and you hear Luke and Darth Vader and R2. I really liked that. So I really liked it back then. But you know what? Now I, this game is, I, I just, I just don't like it. I, I, um, and I guess I can, more so than most of the games on this, I think I can explain why. Because over the last several years, I've really, and I've said this multiple times on here, I've really developed a, um, a fondness for classic arcade games like the, you know, the early 80s to early 90s, roughly speaking. And just digging into a game if it's a game you like you you practice it and then you start looking for the little tricks and ways to fight through the game to get your score a little higher and and you start to when you start to really you know pay attention to these games and dig into them when you have you know if you, you know some people are lucky enough to have their own arcades at home uh, I opted for the main cabinet route but it seems sort of deal uh, in the sense that I get a chance to play these games on um, arcade controls and spend as much time as I want on them without, you know, emptying the bank account. And so you get to start to really understand your own preferences in that scenario because you have, they're allowed to kind of fall where they may. You're not forced to playing whatever games just happen to be in your local arcade at a given time or you're not forced to play only games that um you're 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 pretty good at so that you can make your quarters last <laughs> you just play whatever you want doesn't matter how bad you suck at the game um how you know it doesn't matter if you want to play the game for 5 seconds and then quit uh, you can play it for hours if you want it doesn't matter and you have the ability to do that with um with you know the means available today and so over time, you start to really understand your own preferences. And I think that gone, having gone through that exercise, that's really revealed that for me, Star Wars is just not a very good game, in my opinion. Now I know what you're, what you're saying, what some of you are probably saying. Well, hang on. You said you were playing this on your MAME cabinet. If you don't have the correct controls, of course you don't like the game. And that's a very fair statement. Um, you know, full disclosure, if I'm going to play Star Wars in my main cabinet, I don't have a yoke controller. I'm going to play it with a trackball. And you're going to say, well, of course the game sucks. You're using a trackball. Again, fair enough. But um, I already kind of, um, you know, I, I, I played the game with a trackball and fully realizing that's not the right controller, but I know what the right controller is like. And I know what the game's like, and I can tell that I just don't really like the game. And um, there's an arcade that I I try to get to a few times a year, a, a retro arcade in the area that actually has uh, a Star Wars cabinet. And um, and just for the sake of completeness, I I played that when I was there last, and um, I gave it a good good try, good few credits, and and played it, and I. And I confirmed what I already pretty much knew, that this game is, um, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. Like, um, and I think the reason why is it's, if you really look at it, 
it's really just a kind of an on-rail shooter where you're moving a cursor around a screen shooting at snowflakes <laughs> or whatever those things are. Um, and yeah, it's got, it's got the great kind of ambience to it, like the, um, the sound effects and the voice clips and the, uh, and things like that, that really helps, but, uh, it's not enough. It's not enough in my mind to, um, to bring it up to a status of being a game that's fun that I want to play. I, I still, I can still see right through the Star Wars IP and see what's actually there. And that's just a game where I'm moving a cursor around the screen, shooting at snowflakes, uh, an on-rail shooter. So that's um, maybe a little bit of a controversial opinion for, for a lot of people because I know the game is very popular, and you know that's fine. I'm not telling anyone they're wrong for liking it or for spending three thousand dollars on an original ar- arcade cabinet. If that's what you want. And that's that's what you want, you know. That's that's fine, uh, but I'm just uh, listing the reasons why I don't care for it. And eighth on the list, we've got Pitfall by Activision on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, nineteen eighty-two. David Crane's claim to fame. Um, again, kind of like along the same lines as uh, Super Mario Brothers and Space Invaders. This game is, you know, it's it's very historically significant. It's uh, spawned a lot of imitators. It, it, was, um, it was a pioneering effort. But um, I think some of what I said about Space Invaders kind of applies here. You know, whereas I talked about with Space Invaders, in that genre of game where you've got a space shooter where you're a ship at the bottom of the screen sliding back and forth, shooting racks of enemies above you. Space Invaders is just on the wrong side of being too basic. Well, same thing here with Pitfall and the platform genre. It's it's an okay game. I play it once in a, a long, you know, once in a blue moon. But it, uh, if I'm being really honest, um, it doesn't really hold my interest for very long. I find it a little bit dull. Which is interesting because if nostalgia were any any factor, then um, by all rights I should be putting Pitfall at the top of the list. This was one of the very first games on the Atari 2600 that I ever owned. It was a big family favorite back in the early 80s. We played it a lot back then. But, uh, you know, some games are just best left in the past. Some get better with age. Some just go on an even keel. Um, Unfortunately for me, Pitfall is one of those games that just you know, I could list a bunch of other games as well, um, but that just, they were fun when they were new, and um, they just lost their luster over time with me, and I would just as soon relegate them to memories and uh, move on to playing different games, not necessarily new games, mind you, but different games, new to me, that uh, I enjoy playing today. Number nine. We've got Sonic the Hedgehog, the original, by Sega in 1991 for the Sega Genesis. Now, I've already mentioned the original Super Mario Brothers, and now I'm mentioning the original Sonic the Hedgehog, so maybe you're thinking, well, I guess you just don't like platform games. No, not true. There are uh, some that I like quite a lot, and I'll probably talk about them sometime in the near future. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog... Again, yeah, it's not that it's a bad game, and I and I will play it from time to time. But for the for the the, the you know the um, how much this is kind of lauded by you know fanatical fans and, and things like that, that the following that this game has and everything, I don't really understand that hype. Um, it's a at the time. It came out, yeah, I guess maybe back then it was a little more clear because it was it was a very, very nice looking game. Uh, nice sound, nice music. 
beautiful graphics, nice animations. Um, on not only that, but it was on the non Nintendo console. So the the Genesis people, the Sega people, had a game that they could hold up and say, "This is our answer to your stupid Super Mario Brothers." And believe me, I was a kid of the console wars. I really appreciate having ammo in your gun of this sort. You know, you need you need games that you can grab and you can hold aloft and you can tell your your opponents that, "Hey, I got this and you don't." And um and I probably did that with Sonic the Hedgehog back then because I was a, I was a Genesis guy. But uh I just I don't know. I I not I played the game semi-recently it was a, I know probably a couple months ago and I uh I struggled to really even play through my entire um set of lives um before I just kind of wanted to just turn it off and I, I just didn't really want to finish my game I don't that's unusual for me I um I just didn't really I wasn't really feeling it and then, and then when I when I had that experience it dawned on me uh, I think unfortunately I gotta admit that uh Old Sonic's going to need to go on that list I'm keeping here for this reason. So, um, the, you know, it, it, some, some, in some of these cases, it's kind of difficult to really pinpoint the, um, the reasons for why you feel the way you do, but I think one of them with Sonic is there's kind of the gimmick of, you know, being this fast hedgehog that's running blazing speeds through these levels and everything, which was kind of the gimmick of the game and kind of the selling point of the game, but it also works against it for me because I feel like when you're, on the one hand, if you're not zipping through the screens, then you're not really being Sonic. But if you do zip through the screens, and I feel like the whole game is just passing you by and you're not really seeing anything or doing anything. That makes any sense? Like you're just whizzing through the level really quickly and it's just passing you by and you're bump it into things because you didn't have you're going way too fast to to react in time. So the game's gimmick is kind of simultaneously cool and neat, but working against your ability to really enjoy the game at a nuanced level. So I think that's really the big thing with Sonic that, you know, that detracts from the overall thing for me. So And Last but not least, on the list we've got Joust by Williams, arcade game, 1982. This one, I played a fair bit uh, on the Atari 2600, which has a pretty nice version, I guess. it's uh, It allows two players, which was very cool for the time. Um, it's, a, it's a passable version. I played quite a bit of that as a kid. Um, and when I got my main cabinet up and running, I, for a long time, I never even bothered to even try out Joust. I, I never encountered Joust in an arcade growing up, because I think by the time I was walking around arcades, Joust was pretty much old news, and um, there weren't very many cabinets still in circulation. So my real introduction to the arcade version would come in the era of MAME and emulation. But at least... Uh, you know, like I said, I, I get to try these games on a main cabinet, so I've at least got arcade joystick and buttons and all that, so I get uh, some kind of, you know, reasonable facsimile of, of what it would be like. And um, this is, again, a game I played as part of some score competition, and um, I... So I played it several times in an attempt to get a score, but I, I just I just don't like it. I find it really frustrating. I find um, you know, when you're smashing that flat button like like a madman trying to get high enough off on the screen and these enemies whiz by and you're, they bump into you and you're bumping your head on the platforms and then something whizzes by and kills you. Um, and it's very difficult to control your character with the inertia and the skidding around. And um, I know some people would say, well, that's just Joust, man. That's how you play it. And uh, I guess my response to that would be, well, if that's just Joust, then I guess I just don't like Joust. Um, you know, of all the games on this list, this is probably the one of the ones where 
I, I can say I genuinely just don't like the game. <laughs> I really don't like Arcade Joust. Like, I don't mind the 2600 one, but um, the arcade version, I, I just don't like it. Most of the other games on this list, I um, save for maybe Star Wars, for the reasons I mentioned. I, um, I can play once in a while and, and you know, maybe kind of sort of enjoy it, um, but um, not Joust. I... If I never play that game again, I don't think I'm really going to uh, be too upset. So. That is my list of popular games that don't do much for me. Again, to recap, we've got Dig Dug, Space Invaders, Galaga, Gradius, the original Super Mario Brothers, Moon Patrol, Star Wars, Pitfall, the original Sonic the Hedgehog, and joust. And that's going to wrap up the first Pixel Advocate episode of Lists. I actually was originally going to have uh, a couple other lists on this show, but when I looked at the length of uh, that recording, I thought, well, this is just going to get too long, so I think I'll cut it off after one and uh, save the others for future installments. There will be other installments. I've got a list of lists uh, planned. So, um, lots of fun discussion. If any comments, criticisms, death threats, questions, hit me up, pixeladvocate at outlook.com And uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, at pixeladvocate. So, Don't forget, may we all appreciate what we have today, and in our fleeting spare moments, may we fondly reflect upon our pixel-perfect past. Bye for now.